Hello and welcome to a brand new series of an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. So we're back for another run. Yes, another mountain to climb. No, don't see it like that. <laughs> oh God, it's only the first one. It's a two-year commitment. No, it's ah. not. A television <laughs> landscape to explore at our leisure. Um, so we did receive quite a few emails did you and know? feedback. Yeah, to say that people had enjoyed it, whether it was coming back. So I could confirm finally more recently that we would. I heard But nothing, we needed a break for various other things. I know, I don't know why they don't contact you. They contact me. But I know if I send you things that they say, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> just, I, I know the awful funny. truth. I know, I know my place. <laughs> I think you like to dwell in your, your world where, where we're unloved. But the reality is people rather enjoyed it and lots of people listened. So there we go. Um, so what have you been doing since we, we finished series one? Oh, what haven't I been doing? Uh, um, <laughs> no, I don't know. Nout, lad. Book it all. Well, the main thing, I guess, is three months intensive work. No, 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 no. Work, schmirk. No, no, no. The most important thing was that we, we did a spin-off. We did a spin-off, Space Soldiers. Um, it wasn't really a spin-off from this. It was just a, a separate podcast um, on Flash Gordon, which was fun. But um, we were just discussing before we came on how we were very frivolous and silly on that podcast and how we'd be completely serious on this one, were we not? It's what you do between seasons, mate. You have a, you know, let your hair down. Oh, is that what it is? So that's, that's why it felt so silly. It feels like yeah. the 1970s BBC thing to, to do, isn't it? Right? Have, have an end-of-year party. And go off and, I don't know, sit in the Algarve for three months. I don't know. Yeah, I always remember Joanna Hull telling me about the horrendous end of Series 1 Tenko party at BBC TV Centre <laughs> and how literally it was just a plate of stale sandwiches and some orange juice. <laughs> she was just like, she's like, really? This is this is what they went for? This is catering. So I think that, yeah. Anyway, we are here today to discuss... We are gathered here uh, today. Yes. In the sight of our a, listeners, or the, the ears of a, our listeners. A TV programme that begins with the letter A. What is it, Martin? We're going to discuss a, a one-off uh, TV drama from the Play for Today series from 1977 stroke 1978. There were 24 plays in that year. Uh, the third one of which was Abigail's Party, uh, which was directed, written, and all sorts of things by Mike Lee. Yes. So, possibly one of the most celebrated TV plays of all time, certainly the most successful play for today, and starring the amazing Alison Steadman. We've also got Tim Stern, Janine Davitsky, John Salthouse, and Harriet Reynolds. So, what is it about? For those people who haven't watched it, can you can you explain what it? Well, do a synopsis. As a get-together of neighbours turns from social embarrassment to personal antagonism to crisis, the audience is manipulated, we are manipulated, into squirming and laughing but is ultimately shocked. Alison Steadman's incredible performance as the overbearing and garish housewife Beverly launched her career, yeah, that's, that's arguable, whilst the writer and director successfully took his improvisational methods to the big screen with films like the Oscar-nominated Secrets and Lies and the blockbuster Topsy Turvy. So that, as a synopsis goes, it's not really great. But basically, five people gather yeah. in the house in the house of Beverly and Lawrence, 
uh, two of which seem to have just been invited over because they're new neighbours and they've invited them over. The other <laughs> one, the other one is the mother of the uh, titular Abigail, who we never meet, yeah. uh, who is having a party in her house, and so she's basically been turfed out and uh, is at the mercy of the neighbours for the evening. Yes. Uh, so, so Abigail's party, the the Abigail's party of the title, is not strangely enough. I mean, if you actually watch this for the first time and you don't know that, you think you're actually going to watch the party. Exactly. But the party all happens somewhere down the road, and this is what's happening whilst Abigail's party is going on at the house of Lawrence and Beverly. Did you get something to eat? No. No. I had to throw your pizza away. I'm sorry. Now, Lawrence and Beverly are a not particularly happy couple, been married for three years. He is an estate agent who failed to sell... <laughs> failed to sell Angie and Tone their house. Yeah. Uh, and and it basically, there, there are two uh, couples who've been married about three years, mm. and they are finding common ground. Would you like a drink? Yes, please. What would you like? Uh, a cardian coke, please. Ice and lemon? Yes, please. Great. Angela. Have you got gin? Gin and tonic, please. Ice and lemon? Yes, please. Great. Lawrence, would you like to get the drinks, please? Mm. Tony would like a Bacardi and Coke with ice and lemon. Angela would like gin and tonic with ice and lemon. And I'd like a little fill-up. Okay. And there is a... Their, their other neighbour is uh, Sue, who is Abigail's mother. <laughs> She's on the wrong end of a divorce. She's been... Uh, she was getting divorced more or less about the time that, that the two couples were getting married. Yeah. So there we go. And that's the setup. They're all invited over, and in the middle of this cauldron of hell, much fun ensues. Yeah. So, it is very much a theatre play translated directly into television, which caused Mike Lee some concern. But um, let's let's talk a bit about its origins. So, Lee was invited to come up with a play to put on at the Hampstead Theatre, and he decided to go his typical improvisation route. He was given the money to improvise with actors for 10 weeks and to come mm. up with something that they could put on um, in which they were successful. I think they were a little late, actually, by a week or two. But um, they worked. he worked with those actors. They devised characters um, based on their experiences, people they'd met. And really, they fleshed out the characters, which was Lee's method, rather than than the events or incidents of the play, which, you know, mm. it's one of those early examples of something where a, a, a play or a TV drama where there's not a great deal of incident apart apart from the end. Mm. Um, mm. And, yeah, it's, it's very like much... One hour of 40 minutes where nothing happens. Yeah. It's not strictly true. No, it's, the, it's a character the, piece, yeah. Yeah, the interesting thing about uh, it from my point of view is it, you, you kind of look at a piece of a piece like this and you actually think... Because it's obviously artificial. Yeah. But actually, if you filmed the average evening where, you know, family get together or whatever, it would probably be not as full of incident. Mm. But it would also be nothing like, I mean, you couldn't, people would just say, oh, it's just people, you know, it's just people having an hour in a, in a living room. But actually, the, it's a far more subtle art to create art out of something like that, really. Agreed. I mean, for one thing, you don't get all the ums, ers, ahs, mm, and... <laughs> and can have a cup of tea that um that you get actually in the average family get together but it 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 it's still it has that air and and to actually make that artificial and make it still feel spontaneous is actually quite quite a subtle art oh absolutely 
I mean, I should just say early on that I just, I love this to bits. It is, ah, okay. I, I watched it years ago for the first time, I don't remember, but I, I mm. absolutely adore it. And I think it's, it's a beautiful work of art and also monstrous at the same time. <laughs> um, mm. um, yeah, so I'm very much a fan, but mm. I know it's had its critics over the years and people who have not got its message or even people who don't accept Lee's message on it, which is interesting. And I'm not sure I entirely do. Lee very much is about this is a group of people who, yeah, they, they have them, they have their flaws, but the reality is they are sad, lonely people who are just trying to get mm. by. And I don't know whether I fully buy that because I think, I do think that Beverly particularly is quite monstrous without many mm. redeeming characteristics. I understand mm. who she is and why she is born out of new consumerism and, and wanting to be better, you know, keep up with the Joneses and do the right thing and all those things. But I don't think she's very redeemable. Don't you find shopping boring though, Ange? Mm. Oh, I do, I hate it. He takes me down in the car and I get me wheelie town and I whiz in, I grab anything I can see, bang it in me wheelie. He writes me a cheque, we bang it in the car and bring it home and then it's done for the week, do you know what I mean? We are in the depths of the mid-70s, aren't we? Yes, and yes, the context is, life... is really important. Let's paint that for a while. Mm. Because life in the 70s is not necessary. I mean, it's funny, actually. It's kind of like a very very dark version of the good life to a certain mm. extent you actually uh, on, at this point in time i think the good life's been on for about three years so the the two couples especially who, who live next door to each other or in the same street as each other is very much a a recognized form um you get this you know, the the housewife who doesn't work and the professional businessman who goes out to work every day and comes home and has his glass of whiskey or whatever is very much a recognised television norm yeah. of the time yeah. to a certain totally. extent. At, at one point in, in the narrative, uh, uh, Lawrence's snobbery comes out when he goes on about the neighbourhood going down in tone. <laughs> yes. and, and and specific specifically specifically this seems to uh, be a barbed uh, comment directed at um, Angie and uh, Tone. Yeah, I think you so. Know, he they, does think he does think he's better than them. He thinks they're yeah, they're more lower working class, and I think they are. Mm. But I think he's mm. saying that because he is actually quite working class himself, and he's trying to lift himself above that. So he mm. feels the threat of the. They remind him of his past, I think, which is interesting. Mm. But we're actually certainly on on the very cusp of uh, the new feminism, the new you know the working women. Yeah. Uh, uh, world and it's it's quite interesting I think to watch it now and and have, you do have to realize the world has significantly changed from the the housewife who doesn't necessarily even uh, you know may have a cleaner in or whatever you know doesn't necessarily spend their life managing the household but but somehow their existence is within those four walls yeah and everything really is about furnishing the partner to go out and do the work to bring in the money to pay for the lifestyle. Mm. Now that's an oversimplistic point of view. Obviously, uh, uh, Beverly has ambition. She wants to be something else. She doesn't necessarily want to have to work for that something else, but she wants her life to be something else. And that's very 
interesting. I suspect one of the subtexts of the whole thing is is about the disappointments of life. Yeah. But also the the way that people and I think this is still quite quite relevant the way people want the people they interact with to be like them yes absolutely and there's a lot of little things in here going you know, we're very alike you know yes. or you, if you do this you'd be more like yes. me and, and all this kind of which thing. is all about and the fitting in thing isn't it yes yeah yeah Actually, Angie, it's going to be really nice tonight because I've invited Sue from number nine. Ah, oh, lovely. Yeah, and I thought it'd be nice if I meet her as well, you know, because their daughter's having a party. Well, she's only a teenager, so I said, well, pop down and spend the evening with us. Oh, that'll be really nice because I want to meet all the neighbours. Just say hello, Angie, and break the ice. That's the thing, isn't it? Because mm, that was what was so nice when you came over. Because he really made me feel at home. Yeah. It's funny, Ange, as soon as we met, I knew we were going to get on. Mm. Well, we're alike, can't we? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's a lot of life stuff going on in, mm. uh, in the monster's lair. <laughs> yes, we, it is. As, as the story unfolds. Yeah. You know. um, and the, the, the hilarious thing is that, that Beverly is even willing to put up with someone as as unlike her as Ange, just mm. so she can subject her to what she thinks is right and try to bring her in line mm. with her view of things. Going back to the... And we've all met people. Like yes, that. exactly. But going back to the career thing, I think the suggestion that she was a beautician wasn't there. Mm. And that... Because she, she gives Ange that famous makeup tutorial. Um, mm. And there's a suggestion that that's where she came from. But whether she still does it, it's, it seems more like that she's a lady of leisure now and that... That Lawrence mm. is doing all of the work, hence, you know, mm. hence his later on, um, his yeah. heart attack. I, I, I think actually, strange enough, the, the lipstick scene is, is quite key uh, to her personality to a certain extent. I feel that it was drawn from a real life experience from the uh, the performer. Yeah. Uh, if, if we are talking about this having been sort of created in, yeah. in a in that sort of bubble of of their experiences and and, and yeah. improvised so i feel that this is actually someone that that she met yeah she said it was and, in an interview she said it was it was a beautician in selfridges but there is actually something i don't know i mean i don't know how many beauticians you've visited <laughs> i see them from but, afar and have always been terrified yes. of them <laughs> but there is this certain sense of uh, and I think we get it in advertising as well. There's a certain amount of a, a sense of diminishing by superiority Absolutely. somehow. Yeah. And, and yet the words themselves all sound terribly supportive. I mean, we get this in uh, marketing yeah. as well. You know, everything about it sounds perfectly plausible, and you actually think, oh, "I understand that." But actually, what it's ba- the f- the fundamental subtext of it is, "You're rubbish. Yes. I'm better than you." Absolutely. And that is is a, a fundamental subtext of I think. Uh, Beverly's personality throughout yeah, the play, really. It is. To be honest. Absolutely. She thinks she's better. Ange, can you take a little bit of criticism? Now, please don't be offended when I say this, Ange Bars. I can see what you've done. Okay, you've just sat down in front of your mirror and you just put your lipstick on. Now, next time, will you try this for me? Now, this is something, Ange, I always used to tell my customers and it always works. Now, next time, Sit down in front of your mirror and just look at yourself and relax and just say, I've got very beautiful lips. 
then take your lipstick and apply it and Ange, you're gonna see the difference because then you will be applying that lipstick to every single corner of your mouth. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Will you try it for me next time? Yes. Just sit down in front of your mirror, look at yourself and relax and just say, I've got very beautiful lips. Yeah. And I promise you, Ange, you're going to see the difference. Okay. Mm. Thanks. I mean, when you when the play opens, I mean, basically, there's actually, I mean, considering the, the running time has been cut from the stage version and it's, um, like I say, the, the overall running time is about 100 minutes, yeah. there's actually a very long, silent scene at the op at the opening of the play, and you actually get and it's delicious, so and it's brave, and mm. it's breathtaking, and it's so real. Mm. Yeah, there's a very interesting. I mean, there's a very interesting because uh, basically uh, Beverly enters, uh, puts some music yeah. on, lights a fag, whatever. It's it's all very. This is setting up. You are you are drinking in the room, and you're drinking in the hideous. I keep saying it's shocking pink dress, but it's red, isn't it? It is red. Yes, it's it's definitely a red. Yeah. Yes. Mm. It's a very sort of magentary red, but it's it's there. It's, it it's it is kind of designed to, to draw the attention, to, to let you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 the party frock. I mean, this is the era of the party frock yeah. to a certain extent. But it, it's also deliberately voluminous because um, behind the scenes, Alison Sedman was pregnant, and this is exactly why this play for today happened in the first place. Because basically, it was meant to go from theatre to the West End. But it, they couldn't because Alison Sedman was too pregnant. So they, the suggestion came from Margaret Matheson, the producer of Play for Today. Let's put it on TV now, and it wholesale went into TV like that. So, but that well, is. I hope she gave up the fags. It was seventy-seven, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but anyway, yes. So that was just a bit of background. So ca carry on, yeah. So we've got Beverly in her but room. But there's an interesting because uh, obviously she puts on uh, this music, which I think is "Love to Love You." Yes, it love to love you? and it's not the Donna which... Summer version. It's, no, it's a version by Claire Torrey because Mike Lee was furious that they couldn't use any of the um, any of the American music, music yeah. and they had to replace them all with English. So it's actually Claire mm. Torrey. Mm. Yes, strange because that wouldn't. I don't think that would be as much of a problem now because everything is international yeah. and, and sort of. It was a weird BBC rule, I think. The, the fascinating thing is the body language. There's something in the shoulders. There's something in in the yes. in the in the stiffness of the back when she bends yes. down. It's a very precise, controlled thing. Now you've got to realise that this uh, Alison Steadman at this stage has done a play for today every year. What you said earlier about this as being her breakthrough, well, actually, we'd already had Nuts in May and various other things. Nuts in May was two years earlier, yeah. and, and it's a completely different character. Yes, Candice. Candice Marie? Yeah. 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 And so, actually, maybe it, people call it a breakthrough because they didn't recognise it. <laughs> maybe. I, I don't know. But, but, you know, but I think, basically, she does one play for the day a year for about eight years or nine years right. pretty much on the on the on the trot more or less i think like you say there's a, there's obviously a gap for a couple of years obviously for children but um but the body language is very precise and and that is very controlled as well and it's and it's it's the it's the movement of a predator yes it's the movement of a a an alpha character yes to a certain isn't extent. It? And and it's very much stalking the room. We are introduced to the room with its with its sofas, 
and its room divider. The, the, the room divider is, is a thing that I remember from my youth. Oh, and me. Mum and yeah, Dad had, totally. You know, it, it, it's the sort of like the uh, chest... Well, it's, it's like a cupboard unit, isn't it? But with shelves above it mm. and little slidey glass doors and all this kind of thing for your, for your drink, uh, your glasses and what have you, and your little pull-down for, um, for the beers and what have you, the, the alcohol yeah. section. The drinks cabinet, as it were. As the government uh, are now known, um, sorry, <laughs> but they um so so you, but you so you introduce this room. I tell you what gets me. Yeah. And watching it now, I I often watch for this kind of thing, and I missed it completely, uh, because obviously it's afternoon when it starts. Yeah. And by the end of it, it's evening, and I don't notice the lighting change. Right. Yeah. As, as it gets darker. Uh -huh. I mean, it must be cuts. I mean, when uh, Hitchcock made uh, Rope, which was the one that was in real time, mm. if you remember. Yeah. Uh, actually, the eight uh, segments of the film where they are broken on a close-up of a, you know, you zoom in on someone's back so you get a blank screen. Or yeah. Whatever. That's when all the set changes happen. So, yeah. you, you know, the sun, the, the sun uh, set changes and the, the lights on the drop and the... And the um, the blinds are shifted and all that kind of thing. So when you start the next sequence, it's subtly different, but you don't notice how that happened. And to a certain extent, that's what's going on in this. As a live stage play, I, I suspect it would all have to be done by lighting. The fascinating thing also is that we do get uh, scenes at the door. We do get scenes in the bathroom, mm. which I don't think are possible in the stage version. So you, you get uh, these cutaways to the kitchen and everything. Uh, yes, like. and the, so a lot of stuff happens yeah. off. They're the only know? things like when she's Sue has her moment of respite mm. in the loo. Yes, exactly. Mm. Mm. But they're the only things that take it away from the stage play, I guess. And I think mm. I want to just go back to Beverly for a moment, just to one mm. review of her, which was Alan Bennett described her as a brutal hostess with shoulders like a lifeguard and a walk to match. Mm. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> But that's the thing, because ultimately, I mean, we, we, we shouldn't sort of, you know, the, the 70s idea or the 70s ideal is almost being counterpointed. You know, she, she is she is a she certainly gives the impression of being a hefty person. Yet we know Alison Steadman isn't. No. And that is all done through the body language. And I think that's, that's a fascinating and I've, and I've met, ability. And I've met women like this who terrify me, who mm. I wouldn't want to spend mm. any time with because I'm like, oh, my God, mm. they are completely... They're emasculating as well, you know, they're mm. kind of, but they're also predatory and they want you and it's like, oh, wow, mm. this is, um, this is something else. But um, mm. I particularly love the way she bobs for drinks and maybe it mm. is to do with the pregnancy. Well, see, she bends at the knees, but keeps the back yes! perfectly straight. Now, again, that, that is interesting because like you say it could just be a physical thing because of yeah, the bump yeah. but but it's actually but it very it, it's very controlling yeah. it's very controlling yeah it's wonderful but I think obviously that is the character as discovered when they were doing the rehearsing so yeah. I suspect yeah, it, yeah. It, it's and there's, there's that little um, shimmy she does oh it's, to the it's horrible but brilliant at the same time <laughs> I just love it <laughs> Yeah, a bit more on the room as well. I mean, everything's mm. there. You've got the cyclamen on the side there. You've got the Spanish mm. doll from the trip to you know mm. wherever it was. Was it Palmer? She went. Mm. I can't remember. And um, yeah. the the low hanging glass light over the table. Um, you can tell so much from set. Oh. It doesn't get away from its stage trapping. Yes. And I suspect if he was making it as a film, it would be a very different beast. Mm. 
it, you know, it, it's obviously it's got multi-camera in studio. It's 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 doing what what that form happens. And strangely enough, when you put it against a lot of the other play for today's of the same era, you know, some of them are done completely on film. Yeah, you know, there are other ones from that same sort of time that possibly. I, you know, Mike Lee would look at and go, I wish they'd let me do it that way because, you know, it, it would be grittier or whatever. Yeah. I don't think gritty would necessarily suit Abigail's no, I agree. particularly well. I absolutely agree. Uh, it's interesting how Mike Lee sort of like, it's often quoted for the negatives, but there were also some positives. Just to go with one of the negatives, mm. one of the things he did say was, it's a stage play that was wheeled into a television studio. It slightly compromises mm. the play, but not too seriously. However, as a mm. piece of craft, it's simply appalling. <laughs> he was appalled by occasional boom shadows and people not being in the light and mm. then being in the light and all that mm. stuff. But what he did mm. say, which is less reported is, it reported, is the cast had done 104 performances at this stage. So they steamed mm. into the studio and we did it with a confidence that television plays didn't normally have. And I mm. think that's what sings through and shines through and, and I react mm. to rather than than the the confines of a tv studio because i don't really care about that that's part of what i love about well, old no, tv and i think we're only we're only at this point a year on from claudius aren't we yeah claudius sort of was using the same yeah, um exactly studios the same techniques the same camera you know, multi-camera uh if effects to, to make something that that we recognize as being sort of television gold yeah. television crown jewels to a certain extent i don't feel that the boom shadows and the lighting things actually bother it too much because what you get in this style of production is you get total performance yes you don't get the bit where i rehearse my bit and i do my close-up you know you actually the actors are acting all the time and if they're on camera that's fine and if they're not on camera you know they're still acting you know, and that gives it a continuation i mean i don't know much about how it was produced but i'm assuming it's pretty much shot as live maybe two or three times through or whatever. Yeah. I don't think... I mean, they would have done inserts and stuff, but the whole thing flows. It was shot pretty much in order, yeah. as far as I can tell. I would say so, yeah. yeah. And for the actors to be in the right moods in their head and the right places, mm. yeah, it, it has that feel, doesn't it? But that's the other thing, isn't it? When you think about modern drama, yeah. and you've got to go, right, what mood are you in at this yeah. moment? You know, Have I just run in from the street? Yeah. You know, all that kind of thing. Actually, doing it this way from a theatre and drama point of view, is possibly more effective, maybe, than some of the more modern production techniques, which do look, you know, slicker. Yeah. And do look, you know, and they can be cut and you can put a dramatic sting of music and, <coughs> as the saying goes, blow up a helicopter. Um, <laughs> I've never heard you say that before. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, what I'm saying is you, you can link things together by fast cutting and everything like that. But actually, this kind of drama, this thing that's more close to the theatre experience, is very unusual. We don't get... Uh, a play strand on television anymore. Yeah. Very rarely nowadays. Uh, I mean, the thing about something like Play for Today, which uh, the the uh, there were, there were so many strands that we you know the Wednesday play Play for Today. This is why I forgot which one we were actually talking play about. Play of the month uh, earlier. Play of the month. Yeah. All this yeah. kind of thing. We don't get anything like that where everything in it is different from last week yeah. and different to next week. And I know they're all different production teams and everything like that, but they are putting fundamental one-off dramas on television. And we just don't get that generally in those terms anymore. People can build that themselves using their streaming service, but we don't get it in terms of scheduled broadcast television. Yeah, yeah. 
So. Anyway. Yeah. Olives. <laughs> olives, yes. If you want olives, Lawrence. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do the accent. But yeah. 25% of the assembled company. No, it's... Um... <laughs> Yes, yeah. uh, Lawrence. We, uh, Lawrence uh, arrives, doesn't he? Yes, this he is does. The thing, Lawrence, yeah. Lawrence, and so, uh, in the middle of this moment, I don't know. I, 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 do you feel actually that at the beginning of the play, uh, Beverly's world is actually slightly perfect? It, the anticipation of being the host, and the anticipation everything's in place and in order, apart from the lagers. Everything's there. There are some olives which she's not happy about, but generally, <laughs> the world and 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 her. Her moment is ready, and then in comes Lawrence and ruins it all by actually being the breadwinner. I think he he ruins it also by just being Lawrence, and she's just well, there is she's that. just permanently disappointed in him, isn't she? And she's like, oh, this is yes. this isn't what I want. There is a well, there is a wonderful thing about Tim, Tim Stern is about a foot. Yes, and that's very and deliberate, isn't it? Yeah, and, it, and it's a, it's a it's a very shrewd acting choice. It's funny. Uh, quite often when you see the play performed in theatres, they kind of forget that in casting yes some of the actual the physicality of that's so so important yeah but also you get this because sorry come on yeah no so i mean because lawrence is basically uh, the epitome of 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 little man syndrome yes totally and we've all met them and he's he's very particular in a way that's very different to beverly wanting things the way they should be He's much more in a sort of um, a details way. Um, mm. And it's all given in the dialogue. The fact that his estate agency is called Wibbly Webb is very deliberate. Yes. And that's actually, in many ways, one of the weaker aspects. I think so, too. And also 15 Clittingham Avenue, which is also very deliberate. Yeah. And I think it's meant to suggest yeah. parochial and finicky, but I think it's a bit mm. too obvious. Mm. Are you? Do you agree? Well, I, again, there are these shall we say attempted to be uh you know amusing I, I sometimes feel that when we do amusing plays on words i know i know this it's a thing now yes yeah. but sometimes it, it it somehow it feels like yeah an edit would have got rid of that yeah you know and uh, you know someone would have said yeah we i think sometimes I mean, especially when it's an improv thing i think the cast fall in love too much with that kind of or the or the writers fall in love too much with that kind of isn't that an amusing name? Yes, uh, and actually, in in some ways, it takes you slightly out yeah. because then it, it become it becomes a sitcom world rather than a than a, a drama world. Yeah, I, 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 a, I know I know that's I'm putting that very badly, but it feels like you're shifting from sitcom to drama because when I mean, people genuinely tell me that they think Abigail's Party is a comedy, right? And I think it's a it's a it's a drama that has comic elements. Which yeah. or a comedy drama. Or, 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 I don't or, even think it's a comedy drama. Or a tragic comedy, I've heard as well. We came to the first give way. Now, the bloke in front, he slams his brakes on. Now, I'm going behind him, I suppose, going a little bit too quick with me nerves, you know. Right, so, I slammed my brakes on and I went slap in the back of him. Now, I reckon that prejudiced my examiner against me. Do you see what I mean? Oh, what a shame. Yeah, it was actually, but... The thing that's really interesting about taking it from the stage to TV is that the mm. stage play, and I've watched I've watched it before online as, as a stage play, is mm. that people laugh all the time. And it's partly because mm. they're used to the lines and they know it and they know it inside out because mm. there's lots of fans of it. But it's also because mm. it's played for laughs 
in a theatre setting yes. and reaction, whereas in the TV mm. studio, and it's, this is not talked about by Mike Lee or anyone else, and I find it fascinating, mm. the, the laughter isn't there. And I find when I was mm. watching it, I only laughed out loud two or three times. Mm. And it, it's more a quiet fascination I watch it with. And I'm mm. just watching how people move and behave. And there's a few things that make me chuckle, but and that occasionally mm. laugh out loud. But mm. it's a different experience, well, isn't it? I think people diminish the writer's art to a certain extent. They forget that every single word is very carefully chosen. Mm. And, you know, the funny lines are funny because they're incredibly well-written lines. But so, but it's not something you should play. I, I, I don't... Th- I mean, like I say, if you think it's a comedy, you've got it wrong somehow, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. But, and if you start to play it... Bit, I mean, I don't know, I mean, whether it... The, the, the performances you see... I think if you... If, if your actorly instincts take you towards the comic elements, I think you're missing a lot. Mm. And I think that's the thing. Actually, if you do take away the laugh track, I think so, it's easy for people to just go, oh, look at the silly 70s dresses and yeah, the silly 70s yeah. trappings and all that kind of thing. And and let's be superior about putting the Beaujolais in the fridge. Ha, yeah. ha. Although apparently we do that now, so that's no longer no longer as funny as it once was. Yeah. Apparently. But uh, that nouveau riche thing. Yes. But actually, to, if you sort of just focus on the comic elements, I think you actually, this thing is bloody painful. Yes, absolutely. All the way through. And you're meant to feel that pain and share that pain and cringe and think, oh, God, I'm glad I'm not there. But mm. also remember times where you've been in similar situations where you're like, oh, I don't want to be in this room and I don't want to mm. I don't want to see this happening around me. Yeah. Luckily for me, I'm, I'm now so antisocial that uh, if anybody came knocking at the door saying we're having a few people around for drinks, I, I would cross roads and make excuses. <laughs> yes. and You'd stab yourself in the chest oh. in front of them. Yeah. Indeed, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, people sort of post pictures of their, I don't know, their seasonal um, Christmas events and what have you. And I just think, not for me. Thank you. <laughs> have a nice time. Gosh, there we go. Anyway, we should talk about um, Ange, Angie, Ange, is it Ange or Angie? Angie, I don't know. Ange. Ange and her husband, Tony, who arrived. Let's talk about yes. them. I, and Yeah, they're, they're a happy couple. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just think, well, how on earth did they get together? Now, through improvisation, apparently it's that he, he was in hospital and she was the nurse that tended mm. to him and yep. nursed him back to health and their connection happened. Mm. But do you think sometimes... I, I, Again, this is all subtext and backstory and not in the yeah. text at all. But do you think sometimes in life people end up together through a, a desperate fear of being on their own? Possibly. And and people sometimes really just cling on to each other. And, and sometimes it's the first person who expresses an interest. <laughs> I think certainly in previous generations there was a lot of that and that's why a lot of people ended up very unhappy. Do you think people should get married, Tony? Sometimes. Oh, he's not so sure, you see, since he's been married to me. (laughs) Perhaps we should all just live in sin and forget the whole thing. I don't know. The funny thing about Angela, the character of Angela, is actually she comes over as the most socially inept, socially (laughs) awkward, pathetic... Idiotic. And yet, idiotic person. And yet, actually, she in many ways is the one person who actually has a positive role to play throughout the play to a certain extent because she her her skills which are only very sort of they're almost you know derisively talked about her, the fact she's a nurse yeah. actually come into play towards in the second half yeah. of the play yeah, yeah. very much so yes and and suddenly she's she's pivotal and important i mean yeah 
but and dynamic actually in the yeah. in the final scene. But that's when the social expectations and the conventions have have to be put to one side by a situation like that. Mm. But up to that point, mm. she's very happy to fall in with Bev's demands of her, and mm. she's desperate to please her, and all that stuff about we're like, aren't we? I think the thing that really I pick up on, I always love the details of these things. Mm. This is why I love doing this podcast: is the necklaces. Mm. So. Oh, the way that that little heart the, the way the heart flips on her neck because it's t- yeah. the necklace is wrong for it. She's never checked whether it fits her neck, and the heart flips mm. on her neck all the time. I just think it's a hilarious, mm. brilliant piece of dressing that that mm. is. She just has no clue what she should be wearing. Beverly, with her dominant sort of, um, mm. I guess, I guess Africa esque sort of tribal sort of feel of of that mm. necklace, and it's like it's about dominance. And then you've got Sue. Who of course isn't wearing any necklace, which also fits no. because she's not a. Well, again, this is the the fascinating thing because it's that that thing at the very introduction when I comes. I didn't realise we were wearing long. Yes, um, I love that. And, and so she's coming in a little party frock, you know. Just but again, it's, it's it's I feel that is is a conversation that you know that thing where you you turn up somewhere. Well, I've never I, the idea that if you yes. turn up somewhere. And and you walk through the door and everybody else in the room is wearing fancy dress. Yeah. Which is, of course, my idea of a plate. Another thing I would run miles yeah, from. Yeah. But, but nevertheless, you walk through and literally no one actually bothered to mention to you. And somehow, again, by by omission, you are humiliated a little bit more. Yeah. Well, you know? there's a... F- there's uh, a f- so, social humiliation is absolutely at the core of yeah. this, I feel. And there's... There's a fundamental lack of understanding as well as to what this is, because it's actually a drinks mm. party. But mm. Sue thinks it's a dinner party and that she's getting food because she hasn't had anything to eat before she's come out. Mm. And she assumes it's a sit down dinner party. But mm. but Beverly's never Beverly's never mm. thought anything other than this is about cheesy pineapples. <laughs> you know, and cheesy pineapple, <laughs> cheesy nibbles and getting pissed because she doesn't like supermarkets. Yes, and she doesn't want she doesn't know how to use her oven either or or indeed no, her rotisserie. Want, want to cook for yeah, five exactly. people. Ah, oh, and you've got one of these. What's that, Ange? Oh, the rotisserie. Yeah. Do you do chickens and things on it? Well, you can do. To be honest, I'm not much of a cook, so I haven't actually used it yet, but you can. I, lo- I love the way at the, at the opening when she offers, what, Lawrence, a little sandwich? What, a little sandwich? Yeah. And he ends up later on in the play making his own bloody sandwich. Oh, brilliant. Could I miss that? Yes, of course. <laughs> and is that... Is that... Okay. Yes. And... Okay. That thing where... where okay. <laughs> and it's just like... You know, these people who actually you've met that genuinely, genuinely would be appalled at what you actually thought of them because they think they're lovely. Yeah. And everything they say, like I said, the subtext of everything they say, on the surface, it sounds like they're being lovely and reasonable. And you know they are vipers. Yeah. They are absolute venomous snakes. Yes. Just waiting to pounce to, to and destroy you. you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, about Tony and Ange, I mean... Mm. Tony is such a God. He's a he's a he's a <laughs> he's a what? He's such a brooding presence. There's so much about him that it's just like he seems like he's violent. He seems like he's angry. He feels like he's upset. But you also see the little boy in him because he's kind of like obviously so repressed in this situation. Well, he's a very taciturn yeah. person for a lot of the play but it... until he gets shouted. Yeah. But the other thing that's very interesting, of course, is I feel that Tony represents disappointment. Oh, he absolutely is there. Basically, his football career that keeps getting referred to. 
his his it's the fact that he mm-hmm. isn't a footballer yeah. and yet he's got footballer's legs and what have yeah. you. Uh, and of course the fact that he in Beverly's mind is just a better prospect than Lawrence yeah. is. Absolutely. And there's a brooding sexuality as well there as well. I mean the way he flips his lips, he moves his lips around all the time and is Oh, honestly. Yeah, he's a ginger he's a ginger with a beard. I mean yeah. I, but honestly he does very well for himself. I mean like yeah, she's they're on basically the looks that they give it's just like steaming mm. sexual tension but mm. um but ju- but also his anger directed at his his partner his wife oh um, whenever she opens her mouth is, but is, then she does she's just one of these people who just shoots herself in the foot all the time she has no idea how, why she's upsetting tony but she's upsetting mm. him all the time in really obvious deliberate embarrassing ways like she keeps correcting when everyone says he he works in computers she says he's just an operator <laughs> It's just like, yeah, yeah. no, you're meant to be building him up. You're in public, for God's sake. It's just, oh, awful. What line of business are you in? He's in computers. computers. Oh. No, that's funny, Tom, because my brother's in computers, actually. Is he? Uh, yeah, he's um, a programs and... analyst. Oh, yes, Tony's just an operator. Oh. I know it's a fantastic job, though, Tom. Yeah, because my brother and you had to go to college and get exams, you know. And he was studying for years, wasn't he, Lawrence? Oh, yes. Uh, did you have to do all that, Tom? Go to college and everything, you know? You didn't really, did you? No. No. <sighs> of course, they are They are new to the neighbourhood and uh, uh, <laughs> they, they managed to get their £22,000 house for £21,000, <laughs> which again gets mentioned. I, I which, of course, lovely. again puts the whole estate agent stuff in place, but yeah. it does also date it something wrong. I know, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But um, the thing about Tony, which is really interesting, is is that John Salthouse drew on his own experience as a former mm. player for Crystal Palace, and that's how he brought mm. it directly in. But he says since he shouldn't have brought it from his own experience so directly because mm. it actually cost him too much. And that year mm. he did Abigail's Party, he was incredibly depressed about his life and about mm. the prospect of being a footballer, which didn't happen for him. And that brooding anger and depression mm. was uh, was absolutely real and which is why he could play it so well because he felt it so strongly at that age um, mm. and of course just to say about John Salthouse obviously he was late as fantastic as Galloway in the bill and mm. and I remember first being shocked that it was him because I think the first time I watched it I was used to seeing him every week as Galloway in the bill and then seeing him as this other character mm. is so different but anyway that's mm. that's a side thing did you bring that sir? yes Yes. Oh, thank you, Sue. Oh, it's nothing very special, I'm afraid. Oh, isn't that kind, Ange? Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Oh, lovely, because Lawrence likes a drop of wine, actually. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. It suppose you like. Lovely. I won't be a sec. I'll just pop it in the fridge, okay? The final character, of course, is Sue. Yes. uh, As as we've mentioned, Uh, Sue is... uh, Basically, she seems to be old neighbourhood. She seems to be a little bit posh or a little bit... I, I feel that... He's uh, she is the person that Lawrence is most eager to impress. She sort of represents uh, a lifestyle that he aspires to. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The the intellect, the intellectual, um, the more pseudo intellectual uh, person. It's actually quite weird, really. I mean, if if you take Abigail's party as as a moment in time, Mm. and you wonder, you know, I mean, we're we're assuming Lawrence doesn't survive the play. 
what that I mean we're yeah. pretty yeah, certain no, yeah. he, he looked he looks he looks dead. pretty not around well he pulls she but, pulls the sheet um, over him so he's definitely dead yes yes that's right but uh, it's, but you know uh, ha- had we sort of done Abigail's party two a year later basically we do we think uh, Beverly and Tony would have been having an affair do you think she, basically the minute Lawrence is out of the way she's um, she would she or would that not happen now do we think maybe well I think he's the, he's having it away with it had Lawrence survived he would have he maybe would have ended up with Susan or no I mean I think I think Tony's... Susan's not impressed, is she? No, <laughs> Let's but, be fair. but I think Tony's having it away with anyone he likes at this point. And I, I, yeah, I'm fair. certain he gets his end away at Abigail's party. Mm. I think he goes there, has actually has sex with someone, and then comes back. Your shirt's all wet. What is it? Nothing. It's soaking wet. What have you been doing? Nothing. Get off. Just bumped into somebody accidentally. It's a minor incident. Nothing to worry about. Do you want to sit down, Tom? Tom. Lawrence didn't come back with his shirt all wet, did he? <laughs> I don't think you two have been to the same party, have you? Of course we've been to the same party. What are you talking about? He doesn't quite understand why he's married to Angela. But there's something mm. in there about his... He does have a love for her. And at the end... He likes a, he, a love of fitted carpets. He defends her. He does defend her in the mm. end, and he's like, and he also sees that Bev is such a bitch by the end, and when they have mm. that that sort of little scuffle moment over the body, mm. and and I think that would prompt him not to go anywhere near Bev in the future and realize she was dangerous. Mm. But there's definitely an attraction. Mm. I mean, the the chemistry when they're dancing later on is just like, mm. oh, too much. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Anyway. Sue, yeah, we were talking about Sue, weren't we? A lot of uh, Sue's character, to a certain extent, is divine is devised through the um, the bottle of Beaujolais she brings, uh, and the fact that Lawrence is trying to impress her. But actually, quite a lot of her character comes from the off scene descriptions of the party itself. Yeah, uh, because uh, a couple of times in the plot, our characters leave that some of our characters leave the house and we get reports back from what's happening at Sue's house. And obviously if you are Sue and you're thinking, Oh crap, you know, you're actually thinking what's going on at my house and what's my daughter up to and everything like that. She has two children. Of course, the other one's staying with someone else. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. And it's fascinating to me is that Beverly's uh, ability to dismiss the culture of teenagers, you know, and, oh yeah, she's the tall one with the pink streak in her hair and and all the music's got started and all this kind of thing and 25 people. And, and I mean, there is, uh, there is one troubling line about the colored chaps in the Capri, which, uh, which you probably would now get cut. I think, yeah, and there's there's another years. casual racism line earlier about he was a Chinese bloke actually, which was yeah. said without any yeah. purpose other than yeah. to show that that was a racist sentiment. Sentiment, and it also shows us that's that's the 1970s. That's, yeah, that's the kind of casual, flippant nature of the way people talked yeah. about people from other. And of course, right Tim there. later uses um, the phrase cosmo- the term cosmopolitan to describe to cover over his racism and say basically oh, it's become more cosmopolitan. He's anti-Sue on that. Mm. He thinks that, that mm. people of colour are bringing the neighbourhood down and he effectively says that. And mm. that's very much a, an attitude that would be absolutely prevalent at the time. And in fact, 
mm. we discovered didn't really go away. And we've learnt mm. in recent years that those people are still out there <laughs> and they make up most mm. of the UK population. I expect uh, you've seen a few changes since you've been here, eh, Sue? Not really, no. <laughs> Come, Sue, uh, surely you must have seen some changes. Well, there are the new houses on the other side of Ravensway. Oh, yes, the houses. But what about uh, the people? What about them? The class of people. Now, don't you think that's changed? Not really, no. The tone of the area, don't you feel it's uh, altered? Not particularly. You don't think it's gone down? No. It's more mixed, that's all. Mixed? Yes, I suppose you could say it was mixed. More uh, cosmopolitan. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, you don't think there's anything wrong with that? No, I don't. No, well, uh, that's a matter of opinion. But I, I genuinely feel that Angie and Tone are utterly doomed, aren't they, really? Yeah. And, and her, her naivety in this situation is that that maybe maybe she might be the last to work that out, quite frankly. I think she'll just come home from nursing one day and find Tony's gone off somewhere. Or do you think he's he's more he's more likely to you know, sort of stay with the um the uh, the easy life and still go off and do what he wants in the meantime. No, I think he'll she'll just come back and find him in bed with someone and, and maybe she mm. even has to move out and he can just keep the house, I don't know. Mm. But um mm. yes. Because there's a quite telling scene about children. I mean, these are, are two couples who are childless and a a woman who has two children, for example. Yeah. And, and it's, that's that's an interesting uh, conversation nowadays, isn't it? That, that there is very much a... Uh, I, I almost call it the cult of motherhood these yeah. days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that and again this is kind of uh, part of this uh, idea of birds of a feather to a certain extent nowadays there is this sense that I mean I don't know if you've I mean what your experience of life is but uh, when when you are living with somebody people are asking you when you're getting married mm. when when you get married people are saying when you're having children yeah. when you've had one child people are saying when you're having another one yeah and it's almost like we want you to be like us. Join the cult. Yeah. Join the cult. And people who are outliers from that don't quite fit in that. Oh, abs- are very much absolutely true. S- sort of viewed with suspicion yeah. to a certain extent. And I feel that part of of what Abigail's party is 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 people finding people of a similar oh totally uh, type and sort of drawing them into their web. We you know and putting almost like circling the wagons and saying. The rest of the world different. We don't like yeah. them, but we like us. And of course, Sue is obviously the different mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Quite uh, surprised actually to find that Harriet Reynolds Reynold didn't live a particularly long. Yeah, life. she died in ninety two, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I, was I was also I was also intrigued to see that um, Thelma Whiteley, who played the part originally, was a very similar mm. character. I mean, I know her best as Maggie mm. Clayhanger in Brilliant Clayhanger mm. series, and she's mm-hmm. very much the similar sort of repressed larger mm. large not large woman but sort of like stolid woman and mm. it was just interesting to see that they were very similar actors i felt mm. um yeah but um yes gosh it's all about keeping up with the joneses isn't it and fitting in and at a t- and and i think i've got something written yeah. down here which basically says 
drink as a social lubricant. <laughs> well, totally. And there's that. There's that. Do you think there's a drinking game? And Abigail's well, there is. There is. There game. is people one. Do but it. people do it. And right? Yes, there is. And they drink every time a drink is is had. But then people are sloshed halfway through. And I think mm. there's a story of how they actually did it in a stage production with real alcohol and didn't get to the second part. Second up. Um, ah, right. Because yeah. you just honestly, they drink all the time. No wonder Sue goes mm. off to be sick. It's just mm. ridiculous. How much they drink? <laughs> well, it's also—I mean—that that scene is actually relatively early in the play, isn't it? So it's—it's it's actually you know, that, that, her tolerance is, 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 is very low. Yeah, but do you think that explains some of the um, um, the, the telling, brewing, brooding silences that we get at, at about the halfway point? Uh, I mean, I, I feel that's more or less where the intermission happens yeah. uh, in the play. It's, it's uh, there's a there's a definite sort of where everybody's sort of not saying anything and glaring at each other and everything, or in their own sort of mind, you know. Oh, the ring of the bell. We better go back here. Do we have, do we want to see the second half? Oh, I'm not sure. Yes. Oh, go on. Another GNC. We'll go in. Uh, rubbish. Oh, oh. Well, apparently, Kenneth Williams famously didn't come back in after the interval when he went to see oh, it. Right. Yes, he, d- he didn't like it at all. But I think we don't. I don't know why, but it was ascribed to the fact that he um, he felt it was cruel to the suburban and working classes or the upper. Oh, you know, okay people coming out of the working classes in. well it's again you, you could argue that this is the problem I mean what you've got in here are very much well I I, I hesitate to say caricatures because they're characters but uh, if you are are you gently mocking a lifestyle in this play do you think is, is there a, is there a is or is it just this is a type of people who you know you could possibly could you set this in a a, you know, a a different kind of household and it would still, you know, the same beats would be hit? I mean, I, I feel there's a cruelty in all households to a certain extent, no matter what social um, class I hit. Oh, oh, definitely. But um, I think the point is that Lee wanted to expose the dreadful um, reality of suburbia mm. and of the closed-minded ways that people behave mm. Um, do we assume this is London? Do we Essex, yes. yes. Essex. I mean, the house that was chosen to be represented in the play and was mm. was in Chigwell. Mm. Um, so, yes, it's deliberately mm. Essex and that sort of mm. estuary English. Mm. Okay. Um, yes. Because there is, I mean, the, basically the, there is this the, the horrific middle class aspirants yes uh, who but actually it's weird because so much television before after sitcoms drama whatever is set in living rooms. yeah and i don't necessarily feel that any anybody is particularly well served by having the cameras turned on themselves (laughs) no i really don't think they are either i'm always amazed that people want to do that but we live in this vox pops age where it's like you you don't just want to hear people in the street you want to see hear people in their living rooms ex- espousing what they think about stuff 
But it's interesting to me that something like, say, um, well, uh, we talked about it earlier, uh, The Good Life, isn't, you know, it it's a gentle mocking, but do people, do the people who the most like, would they be offended by it? If you see something like uh, Only Fools and Horses, I know these are both comedies, yeah. but Only Fools and Horses, for example. Yeah. People love Only Fools and Horses because they're people just like them, mm. really, even though are the people playing the characters in Fools and Horses are obviously not from that necessarily same social position and they don't feel they're being mocked by a programme like that. And yet a play like this, why does this feel that it's having a go at the aspirational middle classes uh, and yet some other things that are set in exactly the same kind of room feel more livable? And it, it can only come down to the performance and, and the writing. It can only be that it can't you know if you feel got at by a piece of television no matter what it is maybe it's doing something right yeah well i think tv should challenge and i think it's a wonderful stab at consumerism and and what was a rising mm. tide i mean i remember mm. just just to be very specific about it i remember my mum was required to put on parish ca- county council um not no parish church council parties in the 70s mm. and early 80s mm. And I just remember the, how exotic a beef curry seemed then. And I remember mm. a plate of poppadoms and no one knowing what they were. <laughs> and it's just like... Oh, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely. This... My, my mother, she loved a Vesta. Well, of course. Vesta, you know. And my, yeah. no, the rest of the house looked at this stuff. What's this stuff? My mum likes Vesta yeah. curry. But there's something gorgeously exotic. So I think for something like as early as 1977 to start to to take the piss out of cheese and pineapple on a stick. And I'm only surprised there wasn't, um, so, um, you know, a sausage and pickled onion one as well. Mm. And that they were on a foil, the, a foil. I suspect in some stage grapefruits there are. Yes, foil grapefruit, which we always had. But um, mm. yeah, it's, it's, is it an early take um, having a go at consumerism or is it not? Has that been going on for a long time? The problem is I don't know because I haven't seen the plays of the time because they're not accessible. Uh, if, uh, if you watch television drama from the 60s or the 50s, yeah. uh, thing, even things like Dixon, um, Zed Cars, whatever, uh, but also the dramas, people had bugger all. Yes. They had nothing. And then the 70s come along and people start going on the two weeks in Benidorm yeah. or whatever. They start getting the flights. There's a little bit more money about that. That post-war austerity yeah. has finally gone. and. And and people start getting a little bit ambitious, and and how they decide to spend their money is guided by television yeah. to a certain extent, and what they think are aspirational. I mean, there's a there's a very telling talk, uh, sorry, there's a very telling conversation right at the beginning of the play about cars. Yes, and how he's got a lovely yellow Escort as opposed to these bloody minis yeah. that uh, Lawrence keeps buying, and how somehow. Lawrence seems to think he's successful because he can buy a new car every year or, or replace his yeah. car every year. And and yet the thing he chooses to buy is possibly the, the most compact, cheapest car there is. But his um, but his ambition is limited to that, whereas obviously Beverly's looking at the, the Lamborghinis or whatever and, and going, hmm, fancy a bit of that, yeah. really. You know. And she's impressed, obviously, by Tony and his yellow Yeah, just like she fancies a bit of Tony. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You don't mind me mauling your husband, do you, Ange? No, you go ahead. 
these things of, of how people uh, how people value themselves through the stuff they have and the stuff they can show off and there's there's a, another telling scene where uh, Beverly takes great great joy in being able to just turn around and, when she's offering the drinks because we've got everything <laughs> she's and she uses the line we've got everything as you know we we are successful yeah. we can offer you all the riches that the uh, local thresher can offer you. and this is perhaps the first time in society that people mm. could have everything or, or everything in terms of yes. what they could imagine and first time where you have things like the rotisserie First time you have objects, uh, domestic appliances in your house that you don't actually use. That's a new thing, isn't mm. it? And mm. the other famous ones, foot spas, Clairol foot spas, which everyone mm. had, no one used. Um, they're there. Stuff you aspire to. <clears throat> yes, and not and not actually and need them, off. which is the point of consumerism, isn't it? It's it's buying things you don't mm. need. Um, mm. And this is this is, I guess, the start of that, and it's already being satirised, which is is mm. great. We also reach a point in the play where uh, Lawrence gets his one victory in the fact that Sue also Yes, I love that. I love that. She's like, oh, he's like, oh, completely. He's completely vindicated by that. It's like, Sue likes olives. (laughs) It's just, yes. Uh, And that is kind of like the, uh, I suspect that's one of the turning points in the play because this is where we get to the, it's a famous scene about Demis. Oh, Demis Roussos. Oh, can I tell you a story about before we get into that a bit? Please do. When we arrived at our small village parish in 1981 from a Newcastle suburb, when Dad was exiled after he'd had his um, fling with one of the parishioners, we arrived in this tiny country parish in North Northumberland um, because it was all about keeping it quiet, the fact that he'd had an affair and he was still able to continue as a vicar as long as we were exiled to this tiny little village. Mm. And... The locals all welcomed us at this evening. It was a welcome for the vicar and his family. And we sat down, no idea what to expect, in this rather sort of like old, very old, sort of like drafty wooden church hall in the middle of nowhere at night, Mm -hmm. dark outside. And I was nine at the time. And then Mm -hmm. this woman, giant woman, came onto the stage in a big long caftan and sang Demis Rousseau songs at us for about 40 minutes right. as if she was dem did he have that many? as if she- well honestly he clearly did honestly for, for so long and I, we could never we could not believe it we never believed it and that was our introduction to this village this woman she was called brenda robertson and mm. we just could not believe the the lack of the lack of awareness of what was this saying about this village introduction why did it go on for so long there was clearly, clearly massive, de- uh, clearly a massive Demis Roussos fan, but that's always my Demis Roussos moment that I can never get out of my head mm. of sitting in a drafty church hall and seeing this woman pretend to be Demis Roussos for, yeah, it felt like an hour. <laughs> uh, strangely enough, Demis wasn't actually in the original stay play, was it? It was, it was Elvis. Wasn't no, it was um, Jose Feliciano. Jose Feliciano. Fel- um, okay. they, they replace Elvis with Tom Jones later for the other record. Ah, yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes, but Demis Roussos just fits into this brilliant... I mean, that's the famous bit, isn't it, about how everyone mm. loves Demis, Demis Roussos apart from, you mm. know, I want to listen to Demis yeah. Roussos. They, yeah, all yes. that stuff. Mm. Yes, he's very good. Fine, I'll put it on for you, Sue. Lawrence, I'm sorry, but we don't want to listen to classical music at the present moment. Well, what do we want to listen to then, Beverly? Demis Roussos. 
Well, if everybody else wants to listen to Demis Roussos, we'll put him on. Tom, do you like Demis Roussos? Yeah, he's all right. He's fantastic, isn't he? Sue? I don't know him, I'm afraid. Ah, oh, you'll like him. He's lovely. Sue, he's really mm. great. Sue, would you like to hear him? Yes. Yeah? Uh... Lawrence, Angela likes Demis Roussos, Tony likes Demis Roussos, I like Demis Roussos, and Sue would like to hear Demis Roussos. So please, do you think we could have Demis Roussos on? But also the brilliant use of James Galway, who was so prevalent at the time. Mm. Everyone had that James Galway album. No, light classic. Yes, yeah. which is kind. Of... It's funny actually. I I got the impression that the war between Demis and uh, James, the Galway and the Roussos, yes, uh, uh, battle. I felt that it, the, the the pitching for music made me think. That I, I know I, well, I know we shouldn't really touch on this, but I, it made me think of the arguments about Brexit. <laughs> right. Okay. I felt it was still re- still relevant in the sense that you know there was there was these factions that were digging in yeah. <laughs> and refusing to to give any ground at all. Yeah. There's a domestic war going Definitely. on. I feel in in this house. Yeah. By, by this stage. And Galway represents a sort of a, a very nouveau riche sort of like oh Indeed. it's quite classical and it's you know it's actually more proper music than Demis Roussos who's just a fat Greek mm. and he's just you know all that stuff. But um, this is sort of like he's sort of the precursor to like hooked on classics which came in the 80s and all that sort of horrendous sort of like this is an easy way into classical music for for common people sort of thing and it was just like but my dad had the James Galway album I remember them putting it on and it's just it's it's so funny we were we were better than than this household though we didn't put any Demis Roussos on and we were appalled when Demis Roussos was performed to us I had no idea who he was actually In, in the story. I mean, obviously we move on to uh, uh, Lawrence's regret over his guitar lessons that he gave. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, brings us to um, the rather wonderful uh, Biobrugge. Oh my god, I was just about to talk about that. This is one of my favourite stories. The only surprise about that story with Angela is that it didn't happen last week. And that it happened when she was, when she was eight. Uh, what's the st- the yes. story is um, that she she the only song she knew on the piano was by a broom and she ended up playing it for she said she could play the piano <laughs> for yes, musical sorry. chairs and then she goes by a broom by a broom oh my god and Tony is so mortally embarrassed at this point he's like who hmm. is this person who I'm with oh but it's it's a glorious sort of like. Um, joke about people who put their hands up for things and say I can do that the Catherine Tate character mm. you know I can, mm. I'm a, I, um, someone's you know collapsed on a flight oh I, I can help I'm a doctor you know all that stuff but um, well I mean technically she's right she can play the piano <laughs> she just can't play it very well <laughs> I once went to a party and they said can anyone play the piano and I said oh yes I can 
And you see, I can't play the piano. I just learnt this one tune from a friend. It was, buy a broom, buy a broom, buy a broom and sweep the room. And that's all I knew. And you see, they wanted me to play for musical chairs. Mm. So I started, buy a broom, buy a broom. And I played it a few times. And then I thought, well, I'll have to do something a little bit different. Yeah. So I started, you know, what, just... What, vamping type yes. of thing? Yeah. But as I can't play, oh, it sounded terrible. And I felt such a fool. Yeah. I thought, why did I say, you know, I'd play? When was this, Ange? Oh, it was only when I was eight. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, yes. <laughs> I still felt a fool, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Brilliant. Because we've actually, uh, in the middle of all this, we get this 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 sense of uh, life being a battle, life being a fight, and, and the desperation that's going on in here. But uh, I noticed that when she asks to turn up the music, it's kind of like, anybody mind is one of those... Phrases that's being used as a complete weapon. Oh, totally! This, this war that's now being fought. It's like, don't you dare cross me! If someone actually said, "Yeah, I mind," they would be dead to. Uh, well, particularly dead. Lawrence. Like she's winding him up all mm. the time, and I mean, when she puts mm. that music on and starts dancing with Tony, it's it's absolutely a wind mm. up. She wants to be close to Tony because she's not obviously being. I don't think she's being sexually fulfilled by Lawrence, but um, saying things like, "Imagine making love to this," and. The wind-up that goes on, she has no limits with that. She will destroy him in front of the guests, and she has no concern about that, and that's why she's a monster, I think. But it also leads to some terrible, terrible moments of reflection uh, for, for Lawrence. Yeah. And, and, this, and there's this whole alpha male thing going on. Yeah. And because she's basically he's he's forced to dance, isn't he? he's forced to dance. With her. <laughs> yes. and the thing that gets me at the end of it is when he shakes I know. hands with her. Like... Yes, but he, he doesn't doesn't she say at some point he'll be shaking my hand next? I think she says a Beverly. Yeah. yeah, and he does it also with um, Angela when she does that terrible dancing, which oh, it's just so hilarious. But but they are so so blinkered. Yeah, to. Um, others unhappiness in this room there's five desperately unhappy people none of whom really you get the impression none of them apart from possibly Beverly want to actually be in this room with these five people yeah. by this stage of the evening and yet they're all sort of like stuck together in this yeah in this and this thing of course then Sue gets ill starts being sick and and and, and what fascinates me about that is that within that context uh Angela is a nurse, but she has no understanding. She has shows zero understanding. Talking about the vomits and the period pains, and yeah, all that kind of thing, uh, which leads on to that beautiful moment where, um, well, we just get that thing about Tony being not violent, just a bit nasty. Oh yes, he's just a bit nasty. Yes, he said I'd like to sellotape my sellotape my mouth, and it's like, oh my god. But I think also then. I do think this is of the times that domestic violence was almost a bit more acceptable. Oh. If that well, well, not acceptable, but well, expected. No. 
is that true? Seems to be the, it seems to be the norm for a lot of people yeah. that, uh, that, that uh, within their domestic situation, people uh, would express their quote dominance by yeah, yeah by being being rather uh, brutal. Because they pick on you, don't they? Is he like that? Oh yes, he's very quick tempered. Uh, I think it's because of his red hair. Yeah. Funny though, isn't it? So. To see him sitting there, he looks ever so quiet and gentle, doesn't he? Yes, he yeah. does. Is he very violent? No, he's not violent. He's just a bit nasty. Mm. Mm. Like, the other day, he said to me he'd like to sellotape my mouth. No, Ange. Mm. And that's not very nice, is it? It certainly isn't, Ange. It certainly isn't. There's a lot of subtext about the general violence of men, the general yeah. violence of the to the toxic masculinity that since, uh, I mean, nowadays we'd be called woke or whatever for even bringing yeah. it up or suggesting that there's something wrong with yeah. it, but actually there's a great deal wrong with it. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a bubbling subtext. I, I can't imagine weirdly uh, that Lawrence ever... I mean, it, he, gets, he gets furious with Bev but I don't think he'd take her on because she's a foot taller yeah. than him and quite frankly I actually think in some ways uh, that's there is a domestic violence there thing in the other direction to a yeah. certain extent I feel that that maybe um, uh, that's happening in the other direction mm. but again you can read a lot yeah. into these things I mean there's there's a strong statement about marriage and what you can expect from it. There's this bit about he's mm. very good with money I have a new dress new hairdo makeup but mm. apart from that it just gets boring mm. And I think there's a there's a stultification of marriage message here, which Lee and mm. Stedman may have also been thinking and worried about because they've been married mm. for just three years at this point, and they're like mm. they have this house I think in London, and they're mm. a, a very nice house, nicer than Beverly's mm. house, but mm. they had those same concerns about well, what is it after this point, you know? And it's mm. a very depressing picture of marriage, really. Yes. And it doesn't really encourage anyone to get married. It's like no, two people who get together. It seems to be people who get together who have nothing in common. And yeah, and one of those things I did write down. And again, it's possibly not, I mean uh, misreading this, but I I felt to a certain extent uh, in these five people, I felt it was it was Britain in a nutshell in this house. This oh is yeah, kind of like if you wanted to show somebody what Britain in the seventies totally. Was, you would show them. You would show them. Uh, certainly, middle class Britain, uh, but you know, possibly even broader. Um, you know, because people. Uh, it's funny enough, actually. I mean, if you talk about the middle classes, there was always the lower middle classes and the upper middle classes, which basically was to to differentiate yourself from the lower classes or the upper class. Yeah, and it's nonsense in terms of. But that. But that's know, so of a way to build a society. But that's so but actually, British, isn't what it? We've got is. Yes, but we've got basically somebody from, shall we say, slightly better social standing, uh, the actual people who are hosting the party, and some people from a slightly lower social standing in the same room. And as you can see, it never ends well. Yeah, there's, there's three, they're, they're three stratas, aren't they? You see, within the middle class there, you've got Sue at the top, mm. you, then you've got Beverly and Lawrence, although Lawrence's origins mm. are clearly lower. Then you've got Ange mm. and Tone, and they are like literally. Mm just becoming middle class 
they're just mm-hmm. getting out of working class. But the, even me describing this and the, the obsession of class that we have in Britain that's always been mm-hmm. there. And you you actually absolutely know what you mean when you say someone's lower lower middle class. And mm-hmm. even now, and that the stratas within each system, I mean the class system here is insane. I'm like people mm-hmm. from Australia come over and they're like, even your even your post, your stamps are first and second mm. class and and oh, your your mm. trains you've got first and second class characters yeah. and it's like the obsession is throughout our whole society and mm. and it's is is that just a british thing i mean i know you have it in different countries as well but it's not so obviously stratified it's not so we don't obviously uh, other countries have it but they don't label it I yeah mean, there are aspects there are certainly aspects of american culture which would possibly fall into exactly the same traps but they are um, very much, uh, they they the 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 should we say the public message is land of the free and everybody's equal. Yeah. Um, but but patently, it's it's one of the more uh, unequal yeah. uh, c- countries of the world. But it it pretends it isn't. Yeah. Really, but but even to like my upbringing, and I remember I was almost encouraged to use the word common and to think other people were common. And that mm. we were something better, and it's partly, I think, mm. um, standing in the village of being the you know the children of the vicar, and that somehow mm. that brought us out of our working class trappings a bit more. Because my mum was definitely working class, and my dad, I think, always felt he was a bit more because because his father was a vicar too. But it's it really did. I think yeah. it's got more to do with not wanting to be a disappointment. Because if you think about village life and uh, how people chatter and talk yeah. and what have you, if you if you were the children of the vicar yeah. and you got into trouble, somehow it would be more visible, noticeable mm. than say if 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 the children of those oiks down the way got into trouble. Yeah. So I suspect it's based on that. Sorry, I did interrupt. No, you. no, no. I was just going to go on to say that um, that's a good point. That what we didn't discover until after we left after we left there after seven years um mm. was how judged we'd been by the village about the contents of the vicarage and how people had laughed mm. at how the carpets were threadbare and how mm. they didn't really have the right furniture and the right ornaments and it was quite grubby people are yeah but people are horrible and people are generally speaking uh, you know generally i find in life people are pretty unpleasant yeah. quite frankly because they they will take a position and and a, a position of rightness, and again, this is all stuff that that is being reflected in the play. It's it's I am right, you're all wrong, and if I think that that is naff, you know, I will bloody well. I won't say it to your face. Yeah. I'll go and say it to your mate, and and we'll talk about you behind your back. And every time you walk into the room wearing that, we'll go <laughs> but, <laughs> to but ourselves. That thing you're saying about disappointment, I think we were a disappointment to them because mm. we should have been more upper because we were the vicar and his family and not mm. to furnish the the vicarage in the in a way that they felt was more appropriate for a vicar and his family well vicars aren't paid anything so we didn't have the money bottom line and we were well, you, only just out of working class were, in you, reality well, you, even you, though we you all you think felt, about yeah, should we say a recent news story and how one uh, ex prime minister decorated their flat compared to how an, the partner of another uh, yeah hopefully ex prime minister <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> well, Prime yes. Minister. By the time this goes out, and how, yes, how their associations of what, yeah. you know, one sort of wanted to 
basically reflect that they were ordinary and were a person of the people. And the next one seemed to think, no, the office means that mm. I should have grandeur. And the different approaches of that, mm. people genuinely still... I mean, we have visitors come to this country, you know, dignitaries or whatever, and they expect to be treated in a certain way. They don't go to, you know, Frank and Betty down on a council estate to have a, a state banquet, you know. They, they go to these grand um, buildings that have sort of date back, you know, hundreds of years and are treated like, for want of a better word, like royalty. And so all the sort of aspirational mm. stuff of society is geared up towards moving upwards to that uh, rather than an idea of, shall we say, everybody having the same, the, the, the same uh, opportunities the same you know the fact is that when you've got abject poverty at the bottom and you've got absolute wealth at the top the yeah. people who think they're better are the ones who think they're because of, of their position and that's why a drama like this sort of sucks you through from the abject poverty to the people who think they're better than themselves and they think that gives them a right to talk to other people like they're scum and that is problematical. It's a society problematical, and that's what drama is actually bringing out to a certain extent in in this form. You're actually saying this yeah. is wrong because look at these mm -hmm. awful people being awful. A lot of people might look at Beverly and think, "Oh, I'd like to be like her." That's always the problem with that kind of thing: is that actually sometimes the people who are being mocked genuinely don't get it. They don't see it. They think they're perfectly normal. You actually watch a series like uh, Father Brown, which is very much based at the uh, mm. at the posher end of village life. You know, although again, vicar, uh, well, yeah. not vicar, he's a priest, isn't he? In that case, because he's a Roman Catholic. But it's um, it he's living, yeah. shall we say, a humble life, but in a bloody great big house, and is seen as the centre of the community. Uh, but the people that you see around it, you, you get yeah. the village, you know, you, ruffians, and you get the the village posh folk. Uh, but the stories are generally about the posh folk. Uh, but there's a, there's a structure to it, and there yeah. always seems to be a structure of uh, well, it's that's that um, that famous sketch, isn't it, with the three people standing in a line? It's I look down on him, I look down on him, I look up to yeah. him, uh, and a lot yeah. of that is unearned, and yet yeah. somehow within this microcosm of society that we see in Abigail's party, people seem to still be buying into that nonsense. Absolutely. I mean, the the scene or the moment that is really sums this up for me is this, the showing the embossed in gold complete works of Shakespeare. Oh yes. And and he's so he's so proud of them. I've got the complete mm. works here. They're part of our heritage. Mm. But then he actually. He actually foolishly not for says, reading. <laughs> but it's not, it's not something you can actually yeah, read. Actually <laughs> it's read. like, uh, oh my God. Yeah. And it's just, but this is so true. I mean, I think of all the different parents mm. of, of, of people I've been out with over the years mm. who have had these embossed works um, on their shelves and you just know they're not read and they're just being sold as a consumer mm. item to look like, you know, you fit in. Mm. But um, it's like the old Encyclopedia Britannica's mm. that, that were never open, mm. but they were there to sort of like suggest status. And just what do you read? All sorts. All sorts. You know Shakespeare? Not personally. I read at school, yeah. At school. 
Well, I have the complete works here. Oh, they're a lovely set, aren't they? Yes, uh, they are very well bound. They're embossed in gold. Mm, really nice. Mm. Sue. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Part of our heritage. Hmm? Of course, it's not something you can actually read. In that era, there were all sorts of um, people would have Tupperware parties. Yeah. They would, uh, they would, they would have things where particular kinds of cookware were sold. They would, they would have people coming to the door trying to sell you encyclopedias, and and, and the Reader's Digest would sell you leather-bound. Uh, which call them abridged editions of of the great yes. works, and we all we all fell yes. for it. You know, uh, you know, my mum and dad. This oddly enough, Abigail's party I find slightly painful because it just reminds me of my mum and dad's Boxing Day soirees. You know, <laughs> yeah. that they had for several years that were never successful, as far as I can tell. And my mum was always terribly disappointed because other people had parties that they went to, and there were always it was only a few of the neighbours, and 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 it, but it had that air of. Um, you know, you wanted to be able to show off what it was you were, and you, and again, people, it was genuinely a, a, a popularity contest. I yeah, mean, this, again, absolutely. In in these small estates, in these cul-de-sacs yeah. around the country, again, what Abigail's party picks on very well is these things were popularity contests. They were, they were, you, you know, the people who, uh, oh, the people at number six, or oh, we don't invite them. They're a bit, you know, they have fridge on the front lawn or whatever, you know. And uh, there's all all this. This this pecking order yeah. is being set up, and, and within the five people if, of the house of Abigail's party, uh, 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 there's a pecking order within that, and and so it is a microcosm. I feel for for Britain in in the mid nineteenth yeah. and they're all they all have different motivations as well, and in terms of what is even what is a party, what's enjoyable, because Lawrence thinks they're there or should be there to have conversations, but. Mm. Beverly's there for fun and well to show off, mm. but she also wants to dance and you know mm. grind up on Tony. <laughs> you know she's there to really let her hair down, even though her hair will not move because mm. it's immaculately in place. Mm. But um, it's it's interesting that a, there's a conflict even around what a party is, and also that goes back mm. to that thing about it's not a dinner party; it's an evening soiree, as you said. You know, mm. um, that's interesting mm. too. Do you know the uh, Belvedere Hotel? Yes, I do. Well, originally on that site there stood a Tudor mansion. Did they? Mm. It was the official residence Another of the drink? feudal lords. Oh, yes. They owned all the land around here. Angela, another drink? I've seen to the drinks, thank you, Beverly. Oh, I'm sorry, Lawrence. It's just that I can't hear through two brick walls. Yes, uh, it, it was all part of the uh, Belvedere estate. Lawrence, would you like to turn that record up, please? How can we hold a conversation with that racket blaring out? Lawrence, we're not here to hold conversations. We are here to enjoy ourselves. Beverly, we are enjoying ourselves. We're enjoying this conversation. Towards the end, it does make uh, 
it, it takes you, you think you know where it's going. It really does take you in a, a different direction because of basically, uh, as we approach the end of the play, uh, everything boils up uh, in, well, basically in Lawrence's heart, doesn't it? Yes. And the route to that is a discussion of art, isn't it? Um, it is. During the, the horrendous dance with Sue, he's like, um, you know, do you know Paris? Which is such a desperate mm. attempt to show that he has some sort of class and worth. And then it's mm. the way he pronounces Van Gogh as Van Gogh. Um, because mm. he, want, he, want, he wants to show. Yeah, and even that's wrong, isn't it? Because it's Van Gogh. It's but he says Van Gogh because yes. he's trying to. Well, I would say, see, I, always, I always think it's golf. I think it's the Americans say. Oh, is it? We see. I don't know. This golf. is like the Beaujolais thing again, isn't it? No, no. This, <laughs> but but that. Well, no. That. But that's just my upbringing. Yeah. This is the thing. When Americans say "go," I think, well, that's wrong. Right. But I, I, we, we came. We again. But again, that. I mean, we. You know, we, we can have a discussion about that for, <laughs> for ten minutes. But it. But what I'm saying is, it actually, in in many ways, precisely points out why why these problems occur but yes and why that was uh, and why that was chosen by the lee painting that but the, the painting that uh, beverly has has picked as the epitome of great art is a uh, an erotic painting it's it's a famous which one isn't my it sister yes. had in her it's a flat. famous one i can't remember what it's called but the one with the swan yeah yeah the swan and the naked yeah. man and the, and the naked woman and she had it oh wonderful mm. I believe uh, I'm not sure. I think I actually, I actually gave it to our local dramatic society when they did. Oh, fantastic! Oh, that's so brilliant. I think, I've never seen it since, but I think, oh, I think how glorious! It came in a wonderful, wonderful, glorious plastic frame. And he is—he actually is terrified about her bringing it down. He is so mortified mm. that it actually triggers his heart attack because it, it takes him back to being thoroughly working class. It demeans him so totally that his heart mm. actually gives out on him. It's a moment of such extreme yeah. stress that he will be he will be um, revealed to be as it's common as that. Realistically mortified. Yes, absolutely. I've never seen anything. <laughs> literally. Yeah, literally. And it's and of course it's heightened by having Beethoven's fifth on in the at the same time. Indeed. That just underlines Which again having had all the Tom Jones. Yes, and finally he's got his classical music on. But that so it's absolutely a metaphysical, musical, internal fight that's going on for him. The class, the clash of the classes and the clash of the music with the art, with the, oh, it's just, it's just too much. It's brilliantly done. experience obviously suddenly becomes useful and suddenly she's very yeah. proactive and very positive but actually it interesting to me that Beverly in that moment tries to take over by using her well from a position of ignorance yeah. and again those things are still happening you know people who don't know what they're doing but think they do or think they know better stepping in and trying 
you know, trying to be, quote, helpful yeah. or trying to give advice to when there are people there who know what they're doing or patently fail to do so. Yeah. I mean, her reaction is to lash out and to try yes. to take charge when she has no skill to do that, which yeah. is, is fascinating that that's her in crisis. Beverly in crisis is not a useful person yeah. at all. She's someone who will make But make it's it also worse. reaching out for... Yeah, so it's also reaching out for half known ideas or a bit of brandy or whatever it's kind of like I I know something I know something and and that again is a fascinating when we think what we've been through in the last couple of years uh, you know internationally people who think they know a little bit about something stepping in and, and, and as if they are just as important and just their their opinion matters as much if you like is is a fascinating uh, again, in Diamond, because this, like I say, this place forty five yeah. years old. It's you know, it's it's it. I, it things very rarely change. I yeah. find. Yeah. Pe- people are people. You know, even you know, we, we like to think we've moved on or or improved or whatever. But fundamentally, and what what uh, Abigail's party shows you is that people are pretty much the same now as they always were. Yeah, you scratch the veneer, and there's there's very mm. little difference. We may have more things. Mm. But we have the same obsessions, we have the same consumerism, we have the same desire to be seen, to have the right mm. things, to eat the right food, to, mm. yeah, to exist in a way that is is admirable and, yeah. And, and of course, in the midst of all this chaos of, of Lawrence's having his death scene, we get an enormous uh, belly laugh of... Uh, Angela getting cramp. Oh yes, which is so weird. So you get, so you get, so you get this farce yes. on top of tragedy, which is mixing it's an together. Interesting choice, and of course, isn't it? in the background, you've got Sue on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> going Abigail, Abigail. Yes, because she's trying to get yeah. hold of um, yeah. her house. There's something about this scene that I struggle with, just because it's okay. too close to home. Because there was a time in 1981 where, just before we got to that village and we were subjected to Demis Roussos night, where everything in our house was raw for months, where my parents just shouted all the time and and there was screaming, there was tantrums on the stairs and just everything that you would come across, nothing was safe. And what Lee encapsulates here is that rawness, that emotional energy with people who are not able to understand how to deal with it or what to do with it in that moment. And there's su- such truth in that that it's, it's a hard watch for me because it does take me right back to being nine and seeing this all happening around me and thinking, shit, there's no, there's no security or stability in life. And these people, these pe- people I'd looked up to have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and these people have no idea what they're doing, apart from Angela. But it's just in moments of crisis and raw, the rawness I felt was very true and quite upsetting. And his face is going on. Someone turn that bleeding record off. What? 503-9041. That's right, yeah. Oh, and listen to that noise. Can we have an ambulance, making. please? And... Yeah, what's the number of your house? I'm your house! 13! 13! 13. 13 Richmond Road. Yeah. Angela. He's got a heart attack. Angela. I'm holding this one. Because I first saw Abigail's party, oh, 
you know, a long, long time yeah. ago. It was, I think it was repeated, pre- repeated in the 80s. Yeah. I may even have seen it on first transmission. There is a, there's an outside chance where I was being all sort of teenage and terribly, you know, tr- trying to be whatever. Uh, <laughs> whatever you try to be as yeah. a teenager, you try to be an intellectual or whatever. So uh, I have a fondness for it as a play. The interesting thing is that uh, I don't, nowadays i'm not drawn to television where i don't like the characters yeah. now maybe that's the thing about play for today is you're actually sucked into the story as, as a because there are different stories every week you don't know you're not going to like the characters yeah. you see what i mean the way our, uh, television modern the, the modern era is public uh, is promoted is that actually i suspect that if you if you did this as a trailer if you did the trailer for abigail's party a modern day yeah. trailer for it you'd actually look at it and go I don't like these people. I don't want to yeah, watch maybe. that. Yeah, maybe. Because that's what I find now. Modern day trailers for television. I actually don't watch a lot of modern television because I'm put off by the fact that these people just look unpleasant and the subject matter just mm. look, looks dreadful or, or depressing. Yeah, yeah. And I I generally am not drawn to what I consider depressing television yeah. anymore. Uh, so a lot of modern drama I have missed... Uh, but it's interesting because obviously the characters in Abigail, <laughs> the characters in Abigail's party are not pleasant characters. No, and yet, and yet, I, I can watch it because I I have that history with yeah. it. I mean, Lee said, I mean, there's two rape gags in it for God's oh, sake. Oh, I know, I know, and uh, which which really bother me. Yeah, now, oh yeah, but, absolutely. You know. I think they they feel very out of place, and that is not a joking matter. But I think. Mm. I used to remember we used to, when we used to go on car journeys and we'd pass an oilseed rape um, field and my, my dad would shout mm. rape as if it was funny. Mm. And I was like, that's terrible, you know, because that was the joke he was making. But you can't joke about it, honestly. It's just, but no. have we moved on? Well, in terms of what we say, maybe a little. But um, I think um, I sh- I'd like to think society's moved on yeah the truth is that the manifestations of whenever a woman expresses an opinion on online or or yeah. is put in a position where they can they can express an opinion the amount of pile yeah. on and the amount of abuse they get suggests that actually society has not moved on as much as we would have liked it to in the last uh, several decades and indeed again the the uh, the race gags as well they they don't sit you know, but actually, this play comes from an era of television that people still look on as a golden mm. age, and still uh, will uh, defend. And I suspect uh, if those lines were cut, you know, if it was put on Britbox or whatever, where, I don't know whether it is cut, whether it is on. It's Britbox, not. I checked. It's not. But, yeah, but if it was available on there, it would probably be cut, and then the usual suspects would, uh, you think. Uh, say that they're destroying our culture by saying we can't have rape gags. Oh, I just rem- I just remembered I, I did gags. check, or, or Marisa checked, and it said you could buy it off Prime, but there was a warning about mm. socially sensitive of the t- it's of the time sort of comment came up. So so they do warn. Yes. About. Okay. Fair enough. Abigail's party became really popular not in seventy seven, but it was in seventy nine when it was tr- transmitted during the ITV strike. And that's that's when it got its 16 million viewers. So it, it kind of was a bit later that it really hit hit the um, popular sort of zeitgeist and people were starting talking about it. 
Um, mm. Apparently, there was a storm that night, August mm. August seventy nine. Oh, right. There was a storm that night, and the ITV strike was going on. So, but you know all of, you know all about the ITV strike because you did a piece on it for around the archives, didn't you? Yeah, I did. But uh, I, I feel there's a there's a because um, I think Nuts in May was probably they were, they probably had a season of them. I, I suspect because I, I remember Nuts in May being on as well. Yeah. Un- unless they're having a themed night now. Yeah, you know. It, or they had a Mike Lee night for some uh, probably quite tragic reason. It's it's generally speaking, it's it's kind of niche now that the television play yeah. isn't it? It 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 doesn't get. I I mean I know people would just say well it just looks old yeah. and everything like that. I mean I know uh, I know BBC Four now is pretty much showing old uh, BBC productions uh, pretty much non-stop, um, but. Uh, I don't, I can't, I mean, can you imagine this being commissioned for a modern television or something similar? Only, only in as much as theatre into one's home is more of a thing because of lockdown and the fact that that's kind mm. of become something of a trend. I'd love to see more of that, but I, I would like mm. to... Oh, well, the, the, the National Theatre NT Live yeah. stuff and uh, its equivalents and, you know, have, have been a roaring success. But I suspect they're, they're still quite niche in real terms. The car parks at the cinema might have been full, even the fact that they were doing it at home. But I still think, I don't think it's as broad spectrum as people believe. Oh, absolutely I still not. Feel that it does appeal to the, the middle classes, yeah. the, for want of a better word, the, the, the educated uh, and you can't um, And you classes. wouldn't be able to access experimental smaller plays, you know. It's it's only ever like mm. RSC or, well, the big, the big stuff, stuff exactly. Yeah, I mean that's not again. Yeah. I used the word classes twice there, and I just realised that that <laughs> sounds horribly. Uh, but but I think what I'm trying to get across is that it it's not it theatre for some reason does. It, it, it some people just they switch off. They just yeah. they, you know they don't get it. They'll watch it. They'll watch a TV drama, you know, a, a, a drama mm-hmm. series, and get really involved in it. But for some reason, actors on the stage somehow they're suspicious of it to a certain yeah. extent um uh, possibly because there's there's been a sense that they are you're being subverted somehow yeah. by this i don't know it's it's, it's very much again a lot of this is is led by the media attacks generally on on the arts on culture to a certain extent they are these things are driven by a, a deep suspicion of artists and creative yeah, minds, they don't, because yeah. they are trying to tell you something yeah, you don't want exactly, to hear. Exactly, exactly that. And the fact was that we know that art and culture got us all through lockdown, and that was the thing that got Indeed. us through it. Uh, obviously, the, the NHS and vaccine research and everything ultimately got us out, yeah. getting us out of it. But but that was the thing that was so important, and yet governments, people don't think that art isn't culture is important or they don't want to invest in it because as you say they're worried about the fact that it will actually make people see the truth about the the lives they're living and the the, the corruption and everything it, it always it always seems significant to me that somehow whenever you're in a a when you're living under a regime yeah. the the people who seem to be at the heart of the the counterculture in the or in the the anti-regime stuff seem to be poets because we have a, a deep mistrust of writers and poets to uh, as a culture because of that uh, again there was a deep mistrust in the 60s of intellectuals quotes you know as if there was something wrong with intellectuals and of course when when fascism 
and extreme uh, political stances uh, are thriving, they do tend to try and get rid of the the, the thinkers. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, the Nazis and, burning uh, the books, and yeah, it's 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 yeah. it's the way it goes. And anyway, this which is possibly a bit of a, a bit of a deep tip. Yes, on, I was on just on thinking that. Let's just bring it back to Abigail's party. Um, one thing I wanted to, talk... but I think we pretty much should yeah. round up. But uh, uh, there's yeah. two more things I want to say. One of them is that okay. Two Doors Down, the sitcom. Have you ever seen that? Uh, that no. is very much like Abigail's party every week. It, they always get right. together. It, is it a it's modern, modern one? Or yeah, or and it's brilliantly right. okay. done. And Dune McKicken is the Beverly character. And every okay. week it's about social conventions and manners. And and it's 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 deliberately a comedy. It's a sitcom. But yes. it's very much in the same vein and, and wears its sort of like... A, yeah. Far-reaching influence. Yes, you can see it's very much mm. that. Just mm. made, made modern and... And it's 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 okay. excellent. I heartily recommend it to anyone who hasn't watched it because it really is in the same vein and is very dramatically clever. And it's it's okay. it really does show that nothing has changed. And we spoke about that in happier times, Ian, before this cold or whatever it may be came along. Ian, Ian, don't worry. There's absolutely nothing that belongs to your mother that I would ever ever want. Cyprus. Oh, 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 there is. Actually, we bought her a handbag from Cyprus. I, I would take that back if I could. What about you, Gordon? You get your iron in? Uh... Oh, just put him down for some DVDs, Ian. If, if they did die close together, it may, in a way, be easier to deal with. You could do a double funeral. That's, that's a good idea, Gordon. You know, you, you get... All the paperwork done in the one go as well, Ian. Oh, Ian, 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 please don't rent the house out. I do not want to live next door to a rental. Right, that is enough. Can we just stop talking about my parents dying? The other thing I wanted to say was that what I really feel is missing from Abigail's party is that they don't come up and and um, bow at the end. And I just wish they came up, as because it, it's so theatrical, <laughs> I just wish they did come up and the curtain went up and... Because I want, because uh, I wanted world. to give them the applause, uh, and that's right. just—it's interesting that that occurred to me when it ended. I was like, no, but I want them to come out because they were amazing, and I want to applaud them for how stunning they were in their roles, all of them. The theatre is, by its very nature, isn't it, ephemeral? I mean, it's it's there, it happens that night, and it's never seen yeah. again. Television theatre is is a different thing because it's immortalised forever. I mean. It's funny, you know how actors say, "Oh, I wasn't very good tonight," and everything like that. Do do you think this is the absolute definitive performance that they all gave? Do you think they all went away and thought, oh, "God, that didn't go very well, very well tonight," or do you think that they feel? I mean, that they actually put on record the very best I, Abigail's I, party. I they think possibly they, they could. knew. Yeah, they came in hard, as as Mike Lee said, mm. and they absolutely knew what they were doing by that point. So that's, mm. and he says, you know, he felt like it was the confidence of it wasn't what was in TV mm. TV plays at the time because they knew their characters so well, they knew their beats so mm. well, and that's why I think it's probably the most successful play of all time because. They had done it for so long in the theatre. Hmm. Um, and from a technical point of view, do we know whether they ran it through two or three no times? Idea. Or it was just a no one-off, bang, yeah. this is it. I think it was right. it was straightforward as a commission. 
because yeah. it just arrived fully formed. Um, but I wish that just happened. Yeah. No, I just meant in studio. Did no, I know you meant that. I know you meant that. I've no, I've no shots. idea. Yeah. 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 No. Okay. Yes. So. So, Abigail's, does it still hold up, do you think, having watched it again? I was gripped. I was fascinated watching it. Um, I was irritated that I had to make notes because I just wanted to enjoy it. <laughs> right. But uh, How long is it since you actually seen it? Ooh. I mean, do you watch it no, regularly? No, I would once say it was probably or... about 15 years ago or something as long as that. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. But so, so coming back to it, it didn't appall you? Or no, not at all. It in a different way. I do remember watching it in 97, particularly when there was an there wasn't actually Abigail's party night on TV. Right. It was part of a strand okay. in which they also showed a, a, I think it was an all about Abigail's party documentary, which wasn't, it was, it was quite good, Fair enough. but um, yeah. there was bits in between that was sort of like, they said that these are like nibbles and they sort of like to have this party theme, but the things that people said in between weren't mm. funny and weren't correct. And it was this gradual mm reduction of abigail's party into this idea of what a 70s party was and they did it recently on masterchef where they had an abigail's party edition and i was thinking oh this will be fun they might show some clips they might get it right they got it completely wrong Mm. and it was all Mm. just about how 70s parties were and it had nothing to do with abigail's party and it was this reduction Mm. of the 70s into something that wasn't quite real well, it's the, it's the soundbite yes. culture, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's the fascinating thing, especially as we do this and therefore we blow our own trumpet something chronic to yeah. a certain extent, is that the amount of time so-called experts are placed in front of a camera to and talk they know about something shit they all. know literally <laughs> exactly. they, yeah. they watch very little of it, yeah. or at least they, they may have watched it and, and said, oh, look at the funny... Funny dress or the funny shoes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I was um, very pleased to revisit it and to enjoy it, and it was good. really good to talk about it and to good to explore. Well, I hope we did it a certain amount of <laughs> a certain amount of justice. I hope so too. And I think um, excellent. Okay, I think it's just um, important that we play out with um, probably Demis Roussos. <laughs> Because I want to hear it. I, I shall go, you I'll, want I'll to hear go, it. I'll go and get. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll go and get some coffee. <laughs> okay. Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Until next time, Mark. Cheers. You take Bye. care, everyone. Ever and ever, forever. And ever.